Let's welcome everybody on the internet right now. Let's thank God that they're with us today. God bless you. So glad that you're here. Been speaking something that's very close to my heart that as I've been getting into it, it's just like I want to go deeper and deeper and deeper. And then last week, I, we enjoyed our guests so much, and it was awesome to see our governor has wrote a paper on, on grace and on mercy, and he's talked of mercy. And, you know, my boys, like most boys, you know, I go in their room, and they're playing, you know, those apocalypse games, and you look on TV, and you look at their games, and, you know, the ground's barren and dry, and, you know, they're fighting zombies and anything else, and it's all dr dead and everything else, and people are surviving and trying to find things. And you go, what would you do in those circumstances? What are you doing? I tell you what, I see myself with a gas mask on, on the end of a mountain, and I'm praying mercy. <laughs> I'll let them kill the zombies, and I'm praying mercy. I pray mercy over America. I pray mercy over our nation. And the de deeper I go, and the more understanding I get, and the ex more excited I get about the mercy of God, and to see... That it steps into a brighter dimension. It's not just step one. But we saw a few weeks ago where David was challenged in his sin. And it says he repented. And of course repentance and confessing our sin is step one. And so we find ourselves down. We find ourselves in a barren place. A dead place. And we take that first step in confessing our sins. But there's a whole lot more higher to go. There's more things that need to happen than just Okay, I've repented, I've confessed my sins. So many people just take the first step and they never go any higher and greater things don't happen. And then the second step was we saw David, he rose up. After he confessed his sin, he rose up. And today we're going to see the third step is that he washed or cleansed himself. And that's what we were singing about just now is the cleansing and washing. And what's great is that with every step comes the opportunity for another step to get to where you're going for greater things. And then next week, the washing and the cleansing is to take you to, it says, and then David anointed himself. Talks about the anointing of the Holy Spirit and what it means to be anointed. And every step is just a step to go into a higher place and a greater plane. And we want to study some things today. And a few weeks ago, I spoke to you about Jonah. How God told Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh, which was not a Hebrew nation. It was a heathen nation. Nineveh was built by Nimrod, we find in the book of Genesis. And it was a very pagan city. It was very rich. It was very glamorous. And they had everything they needed. And it, but one of their main gods was the, a, the go, a fish goddess. It was a fish goddess. And I was thinking, isn't it something that God took a fish? He took what they worshipped to swallow Jonah up. And to bring them three days and three nights to the shore of their city. And then he used their, what they worship, what they considered to be their God, to throw Jonah up on the shore. And then Jonah went to the city and half-heartedly preached and said, you've got 40 days to repent. If not, God's going to kill you all. And Jonah was, if, if it was up to me, he'd kill you right now. But you got 40 days. And the king and everybody called fasting and prayer and they repented. And that's where I want to take off. And I want you to see here in chapter 4, in chapter 3, verse 10, it says... When God saw what they had done and how they had stopped, put a stop to their evil ways, he changed his mind. We're talking about God here. Repentance changed his mind and did not carry out the destruction he had threatened. Thank God, we're, if we cry out for mercy, and he says, if my people humble themselves and pray and repent of their evil deeds, I will, what? Heal their land. I will not destroy their land. I will heal, the, heal their land. So we're crying out for mercy. Amen. And we see here that he says, I will, I will change my mind. I will not carry out destruction. But then this is the attitude of Jonah. Look at this. 
This change of plans greatly upset Jonah, and he became very angry. He said, I, I wanted them dead. They're not Hebrews. I only want you to forgive the Hebrews. I don't want you to forgive those people. They didn't deserve it. Sounds like a lot of people who tell me, Pastor, if they go to your church, I quit. I have people tell me that. If they go to your church, I quit. Well, you know, you better watch out because when you get to heaven, you're going to find a lot of people up there that you didn't expect. And I dare you to go to God and say, Jehovah, if they're here, I don't want to be here. He'll say, well, there's one other place you can go. And it doesn't have a Walmart or a Kmart. Don't have water. If you don't want to be here because of them, then there's a lot of other thems down there and you could go down there. Well, I can't go to your church because they go there. That's how Jonah, that's the type of person Jonah was. Well, I know those type of people. They don't belong to church. They don't belong, they don't need God's mercy. They don't deserve God's mercy. They don't deserve another chance. And Jonah was up. He says he was greatly upset. How dare those people even come to church? Don't they know that church is for good people? They're gonna mess our church up. One bad apple is gonna ruin the whole thing. Yeah, you might be the bad apple. They may be what we need. They were greatly upset. Do you know there's people, they love the worship, they love the word, but they quit coming. And they may be back today, but they said they weren't coming back. But anyway, there's people who say, I'm not going back to that church because the word is great, the worship's great, but I cannot get over that preacher wearing blue jeans. I just can't get over that preacher wearing blue jeans. Well, guess what? I'm coming with shorts and flip-flops. Just to make you practice loving me anyway. Like what you wear has got something to do with it. But it says Jonah was greatly upset. And boy, a lot of Christians can be that way. Can you believe? Did you see how short her skirt was? No, I wasn't trying to look. Did you see she didn't even comb her hair? She still had bad hair. I didn't come to look at her hair. She's in church. He's in church. But oh, Jonah was upset and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. And listen to what Jonah said. If we could know what Jonah knows, but yet he didn't like it, but we do. Look at, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away in Tarshish. I knew. He said it a second time. Listen how he knew God compared to most Christians. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God. Slow to anger and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn your back from destroying people. I mean, here he was. He says, God, I just knew you were going to forgive them. I just knew they were coming to our church and they were going to get saved. I told a couple the other day to be, watch out, be prepared. I just found out that Baton Rouge is the number one city in America of sex trafficking and murder.
And it's been said that people are going to come with their buckets to receive water from here. And so you're going to have these people coming with all the trauma, all the baggage, and all the hurt, and all the different looks. And we're going to say, you don't fit in? No, we're going to say, here, take my seat. I'll go watch it in the foyer. Here, you can have my seat. Here, you can sit on the front. Take those reserve stickers off and sit right here by the pastor's wife. Security, let them in. She's going to sit in the foyer. No, I need you right here. I need you right here. Saving. And he was mad. He says, God, I, I know you. Most Christians don't know this. We know God is God's going to get you. God's punishing me. God's going to destroy you. God's going to do this. Jonah knew. Lord, I knew you were going to change your mind. You're going to save them, aren't you? You're going to rescue them, aren't you? You're going to bless them, aren't you? God, I know you. You love. And it says in verse 3, Jonah goes on to say, just kill me now, Lord. Just kill me now. I'd rather be dead than alive because what I had predicted won't happen. You're not killing nobody. You're not destroying them. You're not taking them out. He was upset. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? Are you mad because a few of your exes are coming to church now? Man, my life was so good with just me and my new husband and all four of my exes are right over there with their new husbands and their kids. I've had people tell me, Pastor, I've slept with six women who come here in my past. Well, this is, no, it's true, but wait a minute. This is the church of Jesus Christ. And he had the guts to tell me, you just didn't want to tell me yet who you slept with. I don't want to know either. But this is called word of grace. And people come and say, I don't believe they allow those type of people in church. Well, Jonah wanted him to kill all the heathen. And God says, I don't want to kill the heathen. I want to save them. I want to show them mercy and unfailing love. I want to show them what I'm really made of. I'm a God of love and I'm a God of mercy. Well, we need some of that hellfire brimstone. That didn't keep you from getting drunk last week. It's the mercy of God that leads to repentance. And Jonah was all mad. Man, here he was, all mad. They don't dress like me. They don't act like me. And God says, is it right for you to be angry about this, that I want to show mercy and who I want to show mercy and compassion on who I want to show compassion? They may not be Hebrews, but I love them. And so Jonah goes up on a hill and says, he goes up on a hill, and he wants to see if God changes his mind and kills him anyway. So he goes up on this hill. There's a leaf over his head. He gives him shade. He feels a little cool. He's all happy about it. And the next day, God kills the plant. And look what happens in verse 10. This is all in the Bible. I'm not making this up. God's cool like that. He'd kill all kind of stuff, but just to make you uncomfortable because you're self-righteous. Then the Lord said, listen to this. And then the Lord said, you feel sorry for that plant. That you had nothing to do about planting it there. It came quickly and it died quickly. But listen to the heart of God. But Nineveh. But my Nineveh. But my Washington, D.C. <laughs> but my Baton Rouge. 
Even my Ville Platte. My DeVille. My Allah. My Heinston. 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 My, my this, my that. Oh, they're all going to hell. No, not my, not my Ellick, not my Pineville. Not my Louisiana. There's more than 120,000 people living in spiritual darkness. Not to mention all the animals. I mean, no, God's an animal lover. Shouldn't. There's your scripture, sis. Shouldn't I feel sorry for such a great city? You're looking at all the wickedness. I'm looking at the souls. I'm looking at the potential. I'm looking at the people I want to rescue. You're seeing the outwardness. I'm seeing a heart. You wanted me to kill them. I want to save them. And after all, they all repented and I did save them. Isn't that like God? You know, I learned something when I was in seventh grade. I was raised in church. I was in seventh grade. My best friend uh, was Jose. His family was a Catholic family from Puerto Rico, and he was my best friend. And we, we ran away from the police together and all kind of stuff, had real good fun. And uh, <laughs> we're real good buddies. And uh, we got in a fight one day. We got in a fist fight, and then he took off running. And uh, back in the 70s, how many of you remember from the 70s remember we used to fight like your mama? Y'all remember that? That's your mama. No, that's your mama. No, that's your grandma. That's your grandma. Your mama wear combat boots from Kmart. But your mama buys her bazaar from TGNY. I mean, that's how we used to fight back then. And we'd go back and forth. Your mama, your mama, your mama. <laughs> so we... <laughs> bazaar. Yeah, they don't make them anymore, huh? <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway... We, we were going back about your mama, your mama. And uh, he, he said something about my mama, and then, then I said this. I'm talking about, this is when I was in seventh grade. I said, well, at least my mom and daddy's married. Your mama's living with a man, and when she dies, she's going to hell. 13, 12, 13 years old. I said, at least my mom and daddy's married. Your mama's living with a man, and she, when she dies, she's going to hell. And I remember the look on his face. And all he did was turn to me and flip the bird and cross the fence. And my mom was outside. When I said that, my mom called me inside. I says, Russell Clinton Cobb. That's the three names that you know. It's Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Called. <laughs> Russell Clayton Cobb, get in here now. And I don't remember what my mama told me, but I remember my friend's face. So the next day I knew where he was going in at school and I went to meet him there and he was going on. He had all the other buddies and they were, we were all a group and they were walking and I walked up and I walked up behind him. I said, Jose, you may not want to be ever be my friend again. You may never talk to me again, may not ever want to do anything with me again. But I said, Jose, I want to tell you, I'm sorry for talking about your mom. I've spent the night at your house all the time. I eat at your house. I said, your mom is a sweet lady, a nice lady. I love her. I said, I should have never said that about your mom and I'm sorry. And, you know, he ended up forgiving me, and we became friends. In fact, when Lance was born, he came to the house to meet Cindy and about 17 years ago. And we, it's like we never, never quit being friends. But as a 12-year-old kid, it was so easy to send somebody to hell by judging them. And, of course, it's sin. Adultery is sin. But it's not my place to say they're going to die in that sin and go to hell. 
is my place to offer them Jesus, eternal salvation. Of course, there's the eternal damnation, but we've got to warn them. And Jonah wanted them to go to eternal damnation, but God wanted them saved. I want to show you another example. Moses, boy, there's a bunch of cute little babies in here today. <laughs> Moses received God with his finger, wrote the Ten Commandments in stone, gave it to Moses as go give it to the people. Moses grabbed the Ten Commandments, he's walking down, and what happened? His brother Aaron, the prophet, everybody else, they made a golden calf, and they're bowing before it, they're worshiping it, and it's a huge sex orgy, the whole thing. Moses was on the mountain with God, it says that it was just all a big sexual orgy, they were worshiping this calf, it was horrible. Moses grabbed the Ten Commandments, he threw them down, he broke them, God called him back up, and then you think God's getting ready to hear God saying, I'm going to kill them all, and this and that and the other but I want you to see what does God tell them after the golden calf after they're saying this is the calf that took us out of Egypt let's offer sacrifices to it let me show you what God says the sovereign God Exodus 34 5 the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him with Moses and called out his own name Yahweh and the Lord passed in front of Moses calling out Yahweh the Lord the sovereign God the all-existing one the all-sufficient one he used his name of the great I am I am I am I am and then he uses the sovereign name with the God, or I am, compassion and mercy. I am slow to anger. I am filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. And I forgive iniquity and rebellion and sin. Bible says that Moses fell down on the ground and worshipped him. I know you're all powerful. I know you're the all creator. I know everything comes from you and exists through you. But now you are showing that you are the sovereign, merciful Lord. That just like your power never ends, your mercy will never end. Your grace will never end. Your power to, to give me grace and to forgive me of my sins and love me unconditionally. And even be patient with me will never end. And God goes on to reveal himself in that way over and over so that he doesn't have, he says, I don't want you to have a fixed view of who I am. I've got more to reveal. And what I want to reveal to you, even the midst of the calf, even the midst of all that sin, even the midst that they're not giving me honor, they're giving that golden calf honor. Even in the midst of that, I want to reveal who I am. I am mercy, I am love, I am forgiveness, and I am grace. And it's sovereign. It will never end. I love what the Bible talks in this recovery devotional Bible I told you about. There's a prayer in there that says, Here I am, Lord, with all my addictions, secret desires. Listen to this. Help me risk believing that you love me anyway. Wow. Man, I underline that. Help me risk that you still love me anyway. Help me risk believing. Other people have quit loving me because of who I am. But let me risk in the one true God who's long-suffering, gentle, full of mercy and love. Let me risk that you still love me anyway. Because you're the only hope I have. You're the only anchor I can hold on to. Let me risk that you still love me anyway. The views of God. Gracious. Means he's free and out of his own goodness wants to give. He's long-suffering. He's eternal. He says, I'll give it to a thousand generations. In other words, his love and his mercy never ends. And when I saw that, it speaks of an unparalleled line that runs without ending. And I thought about, how many have seen the plastic water bottle commercial? 
that if you line up all the plastic water bottles, it can go around the world three times. Well, the next time you see that, that doesn't represent water bottles. It represents the love and the forgiveness of God that it just continues and continues and continues and continues and continues. And you can never use it all up. That's the eternal love of God. Mm. And when Moses saw that, he fell down to the ground and worshiped. And the next verses, he started praying. And what was interesting is that he got a hold of the mercy. Listen, you need to have this. He got a hold of the mercy and the love of, and the patience and the long-suffering of God was because when he started praying, he says, God, forgive these people because of the golden calf and everything. Forgive them for their sins and their iniquities. Don't take your presence from us. And then Moses did something very interesting. He started praying for the unborn children. He says, I cry out for the generation that is yet still to be born. And I pray even now, they're not even thought of. They're not even, their parents may not even be married yet. Their children, they're not even thought of yet. But he says, I am praying for the unborn children. That your mercy and your love and your forgiveness will be upon them. And we hear so many people saying, what future do our children have? What future do our grandchildren have? What future does this country have? Well, I want you to know what it has. It has a future and a sure covenant of mercy of God. That God's mercy is going to extend even to the children born and not yet born. And even when we're here and we're gone, the mercy of God will continue for his mercy, his faithfulness, and his patience will never have no end. Glory be to God. Hallelujah. In Nehemiah, I've got to hurry here. In Nehemiah, it says in, in 1930 and 30, it says in Nehemiah 9, 17, it goes, they refused to obey and didn't remember the miracles that you had done for them. He's talking about the children of Israel. They refused to obey. They didn't remember the miracles. Instead, they became stubborn and appointed a leader to take them back into the slavery of Egypt. Always appointing the wrong leader. Take them back into slavery. But he doesn't stop there. But you are a God of forgiveness. Gracious and merciful. Slow to become angry. And rich in unfailing love. You did not abandon them. People are saying, what are we going to do? We've taken school out of prayer. We've taken this out of prayer. School. We've done this and we've done that. Look at the country. There's no hope for this country. In the mercy of God, yes, there is. We can never give up and say that there's no hope, that America's going to hell. No, not on my watch. I'm praying for the mercy of God, the loving kindness of God. I don't care. What they're trying to do, what they're trying to say. I don't care who's in office, who's not in office. I'm praying the mercy of God on my country. And my prayer has more power than sitting in the Congress because it comes from an eternal God. He goes, even when they made an idol shaped like a calf and said, This is your God who brought you out of Egypt, they committed terrible blasphemies. Blasphemies. Look at verse 19. But in your great mercy, you didn't abandon them to die in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud, oh, I saw this. Oh, the pillar of cloud, it still led them forward. It was still there. The cloud was still there. You leading them was still there. You followed them, the pillar of fire. You showed them the way through the night. You sent your good spirit to instruct them. You didn't destroy them because they did that. You instructed them. And you didn't stop giving them manna from heaven or water for their thirst. For 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness and they lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out and their feet did not swell. If you want to dwell on a past, don't dwell on your past. Dwell on the past of God being a God of mercy, grace, long-suffering and patience. 
We can't be dwelling on our children's present. We've got to be dwelling upon the children of Israel, how God was with them even in the times where they were in blasphemy situations and God brought them through. It says in verse 30 and 32, in your love you were patient. How many are thankful for that? In your love you were patient with them. For many years you sent your spirit. You warned them through the prophets, but still they wouldn't listen. So you once again allowed the peoples of the land to conquer them. Verse 31, but you keep coming back. You keep coming back. In your great mercy, you did not destroy them completely or abandon them forever. What a gracious and merciful God you are. And now, oh God, our God, the great and mighty and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love. And he goes on and talks about more. The grace and the mercy of God. Let that be your hope and your stronghold and the increase of your faith for those that you're believing God for. Even in the midst of blasphemous, wrong situations. Even there, you hear people say, man, they are rebelling with everything they have. Yeah, but God's love is deeper than that. His patience. We get impatient. We want it now. He says, man, the greatest preacher was the prodigal son. The father gave him time to come back and then he could preach redemption like nobody else. God is patient. He is kind. He is loving. Look, look what David said in Psalms 103. The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Is this the vision you have of God? The Lord is compassionate and merciful. Slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Now look at this. Y'all need to hear this. He does not punish us for our sins. I hear too many born again believers coming against the word saying, well, God's just punishing me. Well, God's just punished me of my past. All my four or five X, six X's in churches, God's just punishing me for my past. All of the, I'm just paying for my past. He says, he does not punish us for our sins. When you repent, he forgives and forgets. Amen. He does not punish us for our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. Yeah, we deserve this and that and the other. Yes, we all deserve death and destruction and whatever. But God is a God. Doesn't do, he doesn't deal with us harshly with that. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. Then look at this. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children. Tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. We mess up and what's the first thing we say? I'm so stupid. I knew better than that. I'm crazy. I'll never learn. We get so hard because we forget we're of dust. But we're not like the dust sweeped under the carpet. We're, we're the type of dust that's valuable that's kept in a jar. You have people who's going to Israel, and they come back, and they bring back jars with sand from the tomb. What do they have? Dirt 
from the tomb. Why? That's the tomb Jesus was resurrected in. And they just want a little bit of dirt out of the tomb he was resurrected in. Why? Because that's valuable to, That's valuable dirt. Why? That dirt represents the tomb. Why? It represents the tomb that Jesus was raised again from. Well, I want you to know you're not worthless dirt swept under a rug. You're valuable dirt that represents the dirt that Jesus Christ died for, redeemed for. You represent the dirt that God created in his image. You represent the dirt that he loves. You, you represent everything he came to give his life for. Oh, hallelujah. You're pretty dirt. You're redeemed dirt. People say, you're just dirt. No, I'm not. I'm redeemed dirt. How can I be that way? God's lenient. He understands. He remembers where we came from, and he loves us, and, and, and it just cares for us so much. And i got to get to this point. We're running out of time here. It says, this is our step three. Step number three, getting washed. It says, David rose from the ground. And he washed. The next point will be he anointed himself. But he washed himself. His conscience was washed. I have one of my, my wife has this same Christian counseling. This is just one of the books. We got tons of counseling, Christian counseling books. This is just one little book. Working with people, their issues. I used hers and she told me to get my own. So I had to get my own because it's so good. It's called Christian Counseling, a comprehensive guide. You may want to get it for you. I needed it. But there's something in this book that was awesome. Do you know what they said? You know what the counselor said? There's one thing we cannot get used to. It's the Christians who live in guilt. We can hear about the sexual abuse, we can hear about the drug addiction, we can hear about the suicide, we can hear about the trauma, but there's something we can't ever get used to hearing, and that's the guilt that beats people up every day in their life. Saint of God, if you're just repenting and getting up and say, okay, I'm going to go on because the preacher said to go on, you're not going to live in that level to go to the next level, which is the cleansing of your conscience. Feeling intimidated. Nobody loves you. Not wanted. All of these roots that go with, with guilt hanging on to you. I want to hurry and show you a clip from a movie called The Mission that came out years ago. And you're going to see Robert De Niro. He's young in this movie. And he represents a slave trader named Rodrigo. Say, Rodrigo. Rodrigo. He represents Rodrigo. And what he would do is he would go into these native countries and he would steal these natives and he would sell them as slaves. And so as he was selling them and he'd done that and he killed a number of them, he got in a fight with his brother and he killed his brother with a knife and he's put in prison. And the priest who's working with these same natives go to him and say, if you want to redeem yourself, come help me work with these natives. So they bring him to this village and they bring him into this village and uh, the priest says, you need to get all the Spanish armor and put it in a bag and you need to climb to the top of this mountain to do penance for your sins. So you're going to see him going up this mountain with this heavy bag full of armor and swords and, and heavy stuff. And he's trying to make it to the top. And you're going to see him come to the point where the chief gives one of the natives the word to go. And they go to put a knife to his throat. And you're going to see what happens. So I want you to see this clip.
That's the cleansing power of Jesus Christ. We've lived our life and we're pulling this guilt. We're pulling this shame. We think everything is still on us and at the cross Jesus comes and we deserve death. And he throws it into the sea of forgetfulness where it cannot be brought up again. And he'll turn your mourning into dancing. Your sackcloth into garments of praise of holiness he doesn't want you living all your life pulling everything you've done and all you feel bad and guilty for he doesn't want you you're not living a life to play penance Jesus paid the penance for you all you have to do is accept him he wants you to live free he wants you to love life he wants you to love your life love and accept yourself he came to give you life and it says here, in his book, he talks about people, especially veterans, who, who suffer post-traumatic stress reactions. And it says, because of their experiences with intense violence, many veterans feel an outgoing guilt that doesn't go away, but is accompanied with shame, confusion, depression, anger, inner emptiness, and the fear of intimacy. It's an inability to trust others. This is a deep moral pain that arises from the realization that one has committed acts with horrible and lasting consequences. Because of what they have done, sometimes even under orders from their superiors, these people struggle with the realization that they may have ended lives, torn apart families, brought incredible sufferings, are inflicted debilitating physical conditions and maiming that can never be atoned for or undone. They try often in vain trying to get help from counselors and others for stress management and may even under, uh, not understand the guilt or who's guilty and never come to the point of find forgiveness. So many Christians and veterans, I pray for you. I love you in Christ. And even those that may be listening by the web are those here today. So many go through counseling and on different types of medicine and trying to fight these things. And what you've repented, you've asked forgiveness, but what you've got to receive is a cleansing of your conscience. You have been forgiven, and what you did has been forgotten. 
those lives, you pray for them, that God rescued them. But you have to forgive yourself and the superiors and the government who made you do that. It's the same way with people here today. You may say, I drove my child to that. It was my fault that my child is in Angola or in a prison right now. It's my fault that my child or my ex-mate is in Central in a, in, in a ward. It's my fault. And you can live your life blaming yourself. And maybe it was your fault. But once you ask forgiveness, you rise from where you were and you receive cleansing of your conscience that I did that. I asked them to forgive me, but I am not going to live under that guilt forever. Even though the circumstances are still there, the God who restored me, I believe, is going to restore them. But you cannot live under the guilt. That doesn't help. We can live all our life. If I would have done this different, if I would have done that different, if I would have been this, if I would have been that. You can't live that way because it will destroy you. It will cause you to hate yourself, and it will cause you to doubt that even God can forgive you. Who can forgive me with all that I've done? God has to cleanse your conscience. And the word says in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, and so dear brothers and sisters, I'm sorry, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus, only because of the blood. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Look at what it says here. For our guilty consciences, say that with me. Our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. And our bodies have been washed with pure water. <laughs> Woo! Do you receive that today? You see people on TV programs that when they've been violated, a number of young ladies will go and try to wash themselves and brush their teeth. And, and they try over and over again to cleanse away what they feel to be so dirty and made them dirty. But the blood of Jesus erases every spot, every stain, and even the feeling of that pain. It's the blood of Jesus. It's the drop that split the veil so that you can enter to the presence and he can enter into you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So it goes on to say, but there is a great difference between, in Romans it says, but there's a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death to many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is the very different from the result of one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, guilty conscience. But God's free gift leads to our being made right with God. Even though we were guilty of many sins, even though we were guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, called death to rule over many, but even greater. Somebody shout out, but even greater. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Would you stand, please? Would you stand? That one example of Jesus Christ. He wants to free your seared conscience, your broken conscience today. I want you just to close your eyes and bow your head. And Greg, go ahead and start that music. 
I want you to receive freedom today from self-contemplation. I want you to be washed today. You're not going to be a martyr, a living martyr over what you did in your past. I believe after today you're not going to live anymore. Poor little old me. I don't deserve the mercy. I don't deserve to live with all that I've done. That's not the life Christ has given you freely. He wants to take that load off of you and throw it in the sea of forgiveness. And He wants you to get up knowing you're cleansed and pure and holy before Him. He wants to cleanse your body, your mind, your spirit. He wants to believe that you're forgiven. And He wants you to believe that everything is forgotten. He wants you to believe for His grace to receive the promises of His forgiveness and His love for you. He wants to wash you and cleanse you with the washing of His Word. Just right now, just receive this free gift. All you have to do is receive. You don't have to climb the mountains. You don't have to live your life sacrificing or trying to hold on to that to show you're sorry for it. You can't live all your life apologizing it away. You can't live all your life repenting over and over again. Today, you need to accept your total forgiveness. You need to accept your total freedom. And you need to accept your total cleansing. You need to walk out if you're free today. I will not accept guilt and blame anymore. I've repented. I've risen up out of that in Christ Jesus. And I'm cleansed from all my past. I give you praise. And I give you glory. As you're talking to the Father, open your heart to Him. Whatever's been holding you back, whatever's been tearing you down, whatever's been hurting you, breaking your relationships, breaking you from being able to express yourself. You've been living in a box. I want you just to give it to the Lord right now, right there where you are, just give it to the Lord. And as you're praying and you're opening your heart, allowing God to cleanse you, I want to ask those here today that don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, you know we all need His forgiving power. We all need washing and forgiving and forgetting of our sins. He is the only way to heaven. He gave His life for you that you may live. If you're here today and you know you need to be forgiven of your sins, you desire that your past and your sins be forgotten, I want to invite you to raise your hand real high and say, I need to be saved today. I need forgiving of my sins. If that's anybody here, I want you to raise your hand real high. Anybody at all? God bless you. Anyone else? I need forgiveness of my sins. Anyone today? Anyone else today? As you raise your hands, I want you to come up forward and face me. Let me pray with you. Come. Come right now. Let me pray with you. Come stand up here. I want you to come give your heart to Jesus right now. Come surrender to Him. Maybe you have in the past and you've wandered away from Him. Today is the day of salvation. Would you come and please stand right here and get ready to give your heart to Christ. Anyone else? Anyone else today? Anyone else? Anyone else? Come. Come. Today's my day to surrender. Today is my day. Just keep playing that softly in the back, brother. Today is my day to surrender my conscience to Him. Allow Him to wash me, cleanse me, and free me. If there's anybody else today, anybody else today, there's power in that blood to forgive and cleanse, to wash and make new.